0: Remember that great verse in in the book of Acts? David served the purposes of God in his generation. Every generation has a set of spiritual responsibilities, and they're achieved through our spiritual practices. And we have to find what those spiritual responsibilities are and adapt our spiritual practices according to those responsibilities. When we do that, it's an adventure that is sublime. It activates us and mobilizes us um, into a spiritual combatancy that is truly life transforming
1: you're listening to the rule of life podcast by practicing the way in each season we explore an ancient practice from the way of jesus and its relevance for the modern era this is season three fasting Hey everybody, we are back for episode three of the Fasting Series. I am here with the Yinka.
2: Oh, so (laughs) kind. Article in front,
1: not Yinka Dawson. (laughs) The Yinka, no No last name. You know... (laughs) When you have a one word name Bono, oh, dear.
2: Bono, in the strong, likes of Bono sting, this is
1: it. My work sting. is done here.
2: <laughs> and in that same tradition the, category.
1: the Yinka. You Bono know, Bono and Sting. With the Edge or something, I'm dating myself here. I don't know. That's amazing. Fun fact, I so just kind. read Bono's biography. I always oh. assumed that Bono and the Edge were like rock star names. Yeah. They were like they all grew up together. You know, they started the band when they were like sixteen years oh old or something goodness. like that. And it was oh, what the Jesus neighborhood built, bully called them.
2: Mm. No. Who would give everybody
1: names, and it was like Bono and The Look Edge because that. of his like chiseled chin or whatever, and what? they
2: just—it's stuck. <laughs> it's stuck.
1: <laughs> my goodness. No,
2: so you never Honestly, I know. I am not anymore. here to bully you. <laughs> no, thank you. But thank you. That's thank a you, Jamal. Term of
1: <laughs> and I'm here with Jay. <laughs> Aloha, my friend. Aloha, Aloha. to you too. This is the Aloha spirit well today? I'm feeling it.
2: Yeah? yeah, yeah, I'm good. feeling the
1: love from you. Well, <laughs> very happy to be here. We also have my pastor and spiritual oh. father of sorts coming on the show in just a little bit, Chris Venant, yes. by way of South Africa. Yes. And we're really excited to interview him in just a bit. But first, you two, what's been kind of coming up for you guys over the last few weeks of conversations?
3: Hmm. So for me, knowing Tammy and her story, but then also getting a chance to hear it again and have her Mm. articulate it again, it literally was so helpful to have a real and a powerful example of the words of Jesus back when he said, this kind can only come out by Mm. prayer and fasting. Mm. But to have a real life example of that, because the reality is if we want to take Jesus seriously, like it was a good reminder that we have to take his worldview seriously yeah. Yeah. and most of us don't no. we're so oh, secularized i struggle Absolutely. with that yes, yes. So you know to believe that the heavens transcendence is a real thing in yeah. everyday life yeah. yeah and the thing was you know part of her story reminds me and not in a bad way but in a really sobering way that jesus lived like the enemy was real wow and mm-hmm. lived like the power of god was available at wow. the same time yeah so it was just a great reminder for me so yeah. and on top of that Jesus also lived like prayer and fasting have real implications mm-hmm. in our lives and the lives of others. So it's yeah. a great reminder for me.
2: Yeah. yeah. Oh, what about you, Yinka? Brilliantly said, Jay. Um, for me, it's honestly fasting to be with God is one of the... Um, the bits we got to share or listen in on and discuss about, um, fasting as a rhythm is newer to me because in the tradition I grew up in you fasting- You mean like
1: fasting every Wednesday yes, and Friday or fasting every absolutely. year for Lent or- Just to commune
2: yeah. with God is newer for me, but fasting for a result, for something specific in like Tam's story, like for God's kingdom to come on earth in a person's body is revelation in that for way. For a very specific absolutely, prayer for, that you uh, want absolutely, answered. Absolutely, is more common in my background. And so I'm excited today that get to hear more about fasting to amplify prayer, um, because I think it'd be a real treat to get to hear even more stories of God at work, and even to learn more in general about what this is like. So, um, John Mark, can you give us a summary of session three?
1: Yeah, so just to repeat, these four episodes of the Fasting Podcast series are in tandem with the four sessions of the Fasting Practice. So for those of you running the Fasting Practice with your church or your small group, This is designed kind of as a value add as you are Working through, so the next episode is on the third reason we fast, which is to amplify our prayers. To recap the session, I open with the story. I'm a bit of a history nerd, but I open (laughs) with the story of Dunkirk. I'm a Mm -hmm. Christopher Nolan fan, and um, actually, it was really special. Jude and I were in England. I was Mm -hmm. speaking at the time when that movie came out. Oh wow! And so we went to see it in London at this like. You know, six-story IMAX kind of London theater. And it was really fascinating to experience that story in London. Mm. And it was such an emotional experience for me because you realize, like, people living there in that neighborhood, in that city, this was life or death for them. right? Wow. You know, I mean, it was really life or death. They were it, you felt so much closer yeah. to the emotion of the story. But anyway, uh, that movie kind of I think brought the Battle of Dunkirk back mm-hmm. to consciousness for a lot of people. But I just opened the session by saying that that original generation did not call it the Battle of Dunkirk. There actually was no battle. They called it the miracle of Dunkirk. Mm. That was like what was printed in newspapers. And I do a little bit of the backstory. So, you know, May 1940, if you don't know the story, Hitler and the Nazis in the Blitzkrieg have just overrun France and 338,000 British soldiers have retreated Mm. in like a quick retreat, but are trapped on the beach of Dunkirk in Northern France. The German Panzer Division is closing in and they are about to be obliterated. They have no defense, they have no cover. Winston Churchill is gearing up for what he called to parliament, quote, the annihilation of the British army. So that's what Mm. is about to happen. But when King George hears about what's happening, he calls for a national day of prayer and fasting. Mm. He puts the word out on a Friday morning and Mm. calls for Sunday to be the day of prayer and fasting. Over the next like two and a half days, there are what they call the four miracles of Dunkirk. First one is within hours, by that afternoon on the Friday, after the word goes out to pray, Hitler mysteriously orders his tank division to stop just 10 miles from Dunkirk against the advice of all of his generals. And still historians have no explanation why they're rolling in to end this thing, wipe out the British army. He just orders them to stop and they just stay there for days. Secondly, the weather shifts and there is this thick, strange, weird cloud My over goodness. the whole area just around Dunkirk that's a mix of smoke and fog that makes it so the German Air Force, I don't know how to say the German Luftwaffe <laughs> or how, I don't know how to pronounce <laughs> yeah, it, the around. German Air Force can't fly in that area, right. otherwise they would just bomb and strafe yeah. and and kill everybody on the beach. Third, the English Channel, which is notorious for being you know, windy and choppy pretty much all of the time goes eerily calm. Historians yeah. write that it was, quote, like bathwater, one oh I read said. And it's perfectly calm, which enables the fourth miracle of Dunkirk, which is, I think it was like 800 plus or something like that, civilian boats, because the water is so uh-huh. calm, like little small, little sailboats and yeah. stuff are able to cross the channel right. under the cover of all this cloud and then rescue 338,000 wow. soldiers. Now... um. I we don't have any way to know. Oh, and then I show this picture in the session that I found, old black and white photo of Westminster Abbey, right in mm-hmm. London. If you've ever been to London, it's like a must oh, go to. It's no. so beautiful. And also, uh little freebie information, they still do morning prayer. I think it's like at 7:30 in the morning oh, wow. in this little side chapel off to the side. You can go into Westminster Abbey any morning. Early when you're in London. I love to do this. Oh. Wake up early, take the tube, you come up right in front of Big Ben, and then you walk over to Westminster Abbey and you do morning prayers. Anyway, so nothing cool. to do with this podcast. That's but it's, well, I guess it's prayer. Oh, though, but it's it beautiful. Is, it so cool. Cool. But I found this picture of Westminster Abbey with thousands of people mm. lined up way. I mean, as far as the eye can yeah. see. To get into Westminster Abbey on the Sunday to pray and to fast. Now, we have no way of knowing if those four miracles were the byproduct of prayer Mm. and fasting on behalf of a nation, or if it was just really good luck (laughs) and bad weather and poor decision making by Hitler. We don't have a way to know that for Mm. sure this side of eternity. But I can tell you this that generation did not interpret it as good luck. Mm. That generation interpreted it as a miracle to the point. Churchill, who was not a Christian, started then wow. later calling for more days of prayer and oh you know, fasting through the war. And there is a long-standing you know, standing tradition of this in London. Uh, John Wesley writes about one in the 18th century where they were under threat of invasion from France this time, mm. and the king called for a national day of prayer and fasting, and that day the invasion was called off. Wow. And he just writes about what a sweet experience it was, how the churches were all just packed wow. with people praying and fasting together. So. I basically just make the point that all through church history and definitely in scripture, in particular in the Old Testament, prayer and fasting go together. Mm. You know, theoretically, you can fast without praying. There's yeah. a secular version of yes. this in health and wellness yes. and intermittent fasting, mm-hmm. all of that. And uh, you can pray without fasting. Mm. But when you put them together, mm. it's like this chemical reaction in the kingdom <laughs> yeah. of God where. Fasting is like an aid and an amplifier Mm. to prayer. So I kind of, for the teaching, I basically just break prayer down into two very basic, this is an oversimplification, but categories of listening to God and speaking to God and talk about how fasting is an aid to both, both hearing God and being heard by God. So I talk about hearing God and a little bit just of the science behind, again, theology of the body, what's going on in your body and, you know, fasting increases blood flow to your brain, which causes you to be more alert and aware, whereas eating, you know, does the opposite. It causes blood to flow to your digestive system, which is yeah. why, like, we're all a little tired. Yeah, if we eat, a like, a really good food, meal, food coma. Like, we feel great. <laughs> yeah. Food coma, there yeah. it is. Um, because the opposite, it also increases fasting neuroplasticity, which is the ability for your brain to make new neural yeah. connections, yeah. Oh new gosh, neural pathways, incredible. new ideas, new conceptions, new ways of thinking. New rhythms. It's also proven now to decrease the neurotransmitters that signal anxiety and depression and increase that those that elevate calm and a sense mm. of well-being, wow. which you won't often feel at first because of withdrawals if you're new to fasting. But if yeah. you stick with it, you'll feel like my fast days are the best days of my mm. week. I feel more joyful less anxious, more wow. alert, more aware. I feel right? better wow. energy. Yeah. I work better. I write better. I mean, I wouldn't like go lift weights or anything. <laughs> I don't really lift weights anyway, but that's a whole separate problem. We need to do a series no, on the spiritual discipline kind of exercise the for the rocking, yeah. or something like that. But um, it's also proven to increase interoception, mm-hmm. which is the medical word for your mind's ability to accurately notice and and detect what's happening mm. inside you. Ooh, I love that. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, yes. That is actually So you, like you can easily see where all of this bodily yeah. stuff that's happening in your body would be really helpful if you're trying yeah. to hear God's voice. Totally because wow. it, it can that's sharpen incredible. your mind to this point of perception, alertness, focus, self-awareness, mm. and it can put you in this position where it's uh, your more, your body, your mind. Is in a better state mm. to actually hear God's voice coming mm. to you through all of the distraction and noise yeah. and stuff within and without. Which is, of course, I think partially why you see it used outside of even the Christian tradition mm. by all the Greek philosophers, by the yogis in India, mm-hmm. by Confucius in China, you know, and we're not saying it's the same thing. Obviously, you yeah. would have a different motivational structure yeah. as followers of Jesus. But it just it has this effect. You know, Dallas Willard used to say. Just because Hindus eat breakfast doesn't mean breakfast is a bad idea. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> gosh, that's so this good. Like, I think for it's our generation, is a good reminder. Say just because, you know, secular progressives do mindfulness yeah. doesn't mean mindfulness yes. is a bad it's, idea. Yeah. Yes. Right. Wisdom yes. is wisdom is wisdom. Yeah, But there is something happening in your body that for us who really want to hear God's voice, discern God's mm. will, and this is one of the central questions of disciple of Jesus, how do I know and do yes. the yeah. will of God? This is yes. That's ultimately the, mm. the question of discipleship. How do yeah. I know? and do the will of God. Yeah, Fasting can be incredibly helpful to know yeah. and to do to the do will of God.
2: Mm. So then
1: I do a whole piece on not just hearing God, but being heard by God. Mm. And scripture is just chock full of stories, and I'm not going to recant them all now, but just do a study on fasting in the Old Testament in particular, but the book of Acts as well. So many stories mm. of prayer and fasting yeah. together, and then a dramatic, a miracle, a breakthrough, yeah. an mm. answer to prayer. Uh, you know, stories of armies invading yeah. that then were turned oh back. Like, it's not just in England. It's yeah. in Second Samuel yeah. and First Kings and all of that. Tony Evans, the preeminent preacher, writes that fasting, quote, helps us to activate God's power. And there's mystery here for sure. You know, you can get into the theological weeds. But there just is no doubt whatever is behind the mystery at the front of it is the reality that God responds. That's a word that I like to prayer and to fasting. And that's. Session three.
4: The Fasting Practice is a four-week
3: experience designed to be run in your church, small group, or community that combines
4: teaching, conversation, and spiritual exercises to introduce you to this ancient discipline for life with God. If you come on The Fasting Practice, you will not just learn about fasting, you will learn how to fast. The end goal is to integrate
3: fasting more richly into your rule of life so that you can arrange your life around God.
4: The fasting practice is completely free thanks to the generosity of our friends in the circle. Available now at practicingtheway.org.
1: Jane Yinka, what, what thoughts or clarifying questions or disagreements yeah (laughs) Uh, like what what comes up for you when you hear about this idea of prayer and fasting and fasting as an amplifier to prayer
2: yeah honestly i'm interested in exploring some of that mystery like i agree um with fasting as a way to amplify voices but the question it brings up for me is god is omnipresent meaning he's in all places at all time and he's attentive to us What does it mean to fast and pray to activate his power or presence? Does God hear us more or more clearly Mm -hmm. or more compelled to respond to us as a result of Mm -hmm. our fast? This is a question I have. Yeah. Well,
1: let me just solve that mystery. (laughs) (laughs) Done. In 20 seconds with three alliterating (laughs) points, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, again, there's so much mystery here, isn't there? You know, I just think we have to respect the mystery Mm. and not, try to solve the yeah, problem in yeah. a way that our mind can just kind of cross our T's and dot our eyes. Yeah. But I think, you know, to, to broach the mystery, I think it will force you to adopt a more relational mm-hmm. and formational theory of prayer yeah. over against a transactional yes. or judicial theory yeah. of prayer.
2: Yeah.
1: And, um, To realize that God's interested in relationship Mm. with us, and he's as interested, I think, in what's happening in us Mm. as what's happening through us. And you can take that too far. Like There's a very popular Christian cliche that says, prayer doesn't change God, it changes us. I, I don't think that's a true statement. It's certainly not a biblical statement. Mm. Now, you have to define what do you mean by changeable? For sure, God. God for it's sure. Not going like to God is unchangeable. You know? Yes, yes. But if you don't want to believe that prayer can have an effect on what God does or does not do, then you have some massive problems with the Bible. Yeah, I even
2: understanding why you pray Because then. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Exactly. And then yeah. you get it like the motivation for prayer is pleasing God. Yeah. But then you're like, okay, but why? Uh, that can make sense to me if we're or talking about prayer then. as contemplation. Yeah. Prayer sure. is worship, prayer is gratitude, but yeah. prayer is intercession yeah, and petition. For sure. for like sure. We're just supposed to ask just because it's pleasing to God. That yeah. may be right, but that is an unsatisfactory yeah. answer for yeah. me. So I'm all for pleasing God, but I think there's actually something mm. happening when we pray. And this might be an oversimplification, but I think when we pray, some things happen.
2: Yeah.
1: And the reciprocal, when we don't pray, some things don't happen. Mm. And again, back to the Chilling, real, to, think chilling that. to think about. It's chilling to think about that. And I think that causes some people anxiety, but I don't think that's the right. I don't think that's yeah. the Lord's heart. Yeah. I think there is a responsibility that yeah. comes with that. You know, yeah. um, one theologian I read called prayer moral responsibility. Mm. We have a wow. moral wow. responsibility as human wow. beings in the image of God as wow. agents made to pray. And there is just there is that like biblical idea. And I use a couple of scripture quotations in the session of, um, you know, the Jeremiah line, I will be found by you when you seek me mm-hmm. with all of your heart mm-hmm. yeah. and several of the prophets uh, exemplify that through fasting, mm-hmm. with fasting.
2: yeah.
1: And so there's something about seeking God mm-hmm. with all of our heart yeah. and fasting as one way yeah. to like really demonstrate to God, like all we desire with mm-hmm. all of us for you to answer this prayer that God seems to find value in. Mm. And um I don't think it's, you know, to make us hustle harder. Yeah. I think it has <laughs> something so. to do with relationship, something to do with the formation of us, something. Mm. And but then the other thing I think that a lot of western Christians miss is the resistance that we often feel against our prayers and an unanswered prayer. Yeah. Um we forget that there are more parties involved here than just us and God. Yeah. Mm. So whenever I teach yeah. on the or the problem yeah. of evil, I just talk about how there are multiple wills at play in oh the my universe. Goodness. Yes. You know? So when Jesus yes. teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I could be way off, but, I think that he's assuming that God's will is not yet done Mm. on earth as it is in heaven, not in full. And so we are to pray for it to happen. And so, you know, I like to think about there are at least four or five wills at play. There's God's will. God has a will, Mm. a desire, good intentions for you, for me, for the world. There's um, the evil one's will. Mm. He has a will. Yeah. And he has power to implement that will, and yeah. he has a uh, capacity to do that in, in the world, and it is very contrary to mm. God's will. I have a will. Yeah. You know, like I can do things that, um, that I don't think are God's will for me <laughs> yeah. or for you or yeah. for my poor children or people around me. Um, you have a will. Every, yeah. human be- yeah. every other human being on the planet, mm-hmm. some of whom love and desire to follow and honor Jesus, others of whom hate and desire mm. to rebel against Jesus have a will um arguably you know nature has a will in the mm. sense of you know butterfly effect and yeah. you know you have hurricanes and tornadoes mm. and they have effect on the world and you yeah. know all of this stuff so all of these wills and the complexity of the human experience interact with each yeah. other yes. in ways that often spontaneous combust you know yeah. and i oh think my goodness. All these, the multiplicity of wills it resists simple explanations yeah that's great that's, yeah, like I man it's all actually, God or it's not God or God's yeah. in control or God's not great way to it speak. just resists there's it so really much does. mystery it resists it really simple explanations and so I don't think we're going to solve the mystery but sometimes I just come back to Jesus and yeah. If we learn anything from Jesus about prayer, it's the importance of asking. Mm. Mm. Like he doesn't suggest that that. we ask. He commands that we ask over and over and that we keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking. Charles Spurgeon said, asking is the rule of the kingdom. Mm. Mm. And and we can, you know, if you think about like, uh, this was an Agnes Stanford concept. I'm still kind of processing her paradigms, but she writes about how in the same way that there are like, Scientific laws, we would call them in the West, like rules to how God mm. made the universe, like gravity. Yeah,
2: yes.
1: And the more if we can figure out what those rules are and then we can work with them and harness them, we can do extraordinary things. Yes. So airplanes yes, fly sure. by harnessing sand, the laws of you know? physics, As yes, they, built yeah, into absolutely. the universe. And then she just argues there are spiritual laws to Ooh. the universe. And if you can figure out what they are, this is how God made the universe to work. And then if you can harness them, that's how you can activate power in your life. Really interesting concept. I'm still processing what I think about it. All I know is that one of those spiritual laws mm. is you have not because you ask not. Mm. Like there's something to asking oh. yeah. that Jesus seems to. And I couldn't explain it all to you. Yeah. I just know there is asking is the yeah. rule of the kingdom. Oh, my um, goodness. And there, there is something there. So I don't oh, know. I thank guess you that's a little bit how them. I process yeah, it. Yeah,
2: that's incredible.
1: You know, I heard a,
3: I think it was Blaise Pascal who once said that curiosity is what's natural. Mm. It's indifference that is yes. learned. Yes. Mm. You ever heard that yes. phrase? No, yes. I have not. That's so brilliant. As someone yeah, who's, least. you know, working and doing ministry with Gen Z, I've, I've regularly recognized, um, and even someone in myself, that there's almost an apathy towards prayer, towards asking, if mm. you will. Absolutely. And, and even, yeah. even beyond that almost like an anger or a cynicism mm. towards asking. Mm. And so when you talk about a really powerful practice like fasting, but also a mysterious one, in, yeah. in interconnected yeah. with prayer, but also interconnected with amplifying your prayers, Yes. how do you make sure, and I'm thinking of my teenagers, John Mark and Yenka, as I'm yeah. talking or asking, how do we make sure that we're not setting people up? Or uh, this is what I come in, especially with deconstruction right now, and everyone's like, you know, this movement that's going around, it's brought a few like, just helpful, maybe healthy. I don't know. Maybe unhealthy concerns
1: yeah. that I work through mm-hmm.
3: every time I preach. Absolutely, and you're yeah. working with yeah. like Gen Z. Yeah. Am I overpromising at times? Mm-hmm. Am I am I teaching sometimes to overexpect? Is this because yeah. faith isn't always guaranteed outcome, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But how do we use a tool and and preach on and encourage, yeah. especially to sometimes an apathetic people? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. A tool, a beautiful tool like fasting and prayer together, even. Yes. Um. And yet make sure to be careful about this doesn't equal outcome. Am I making sense yeah, here? I'm yeah, I know. Can I help suss this out? I've, just, yeah. I've felt this concern.
1: Yeah, yeah I, mean, I think yeah. the first thing I would want to say is just validate your pastoral concern. Mm. I do think, and I need to be careful what I say here, that one of their, I think, deconstruction is a complex phenomenon. There are lots of drivers behind it. One is whether it's full-on deconstruction or just disillusionment. Mm. Mm. Um, wow. Wow. That's and true. one is exactly what you said. There is a uh, what theologians would call an overrealized eschatology, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah. like in the kingdom of God theology, there's that concept of the now and the not yes. yet. Like yes. The kingdom is here, but yes. it's also coming. It's now, but yes, it's, not, it's yet. not yet. And so there are mm-hmm. moments where we experience the yes. here-ness and the now-ness absolutely. of the kingdom, the a kingdom healing, yeah, a deliverance Especially like in our tea. Teenage years, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think all through our life, right, just, right. there are moments of breakthrough, right. Right. you know? Of, okay, that's the kingdom yeah. of God here and now. But then there are also a lot of not yet moments, you know? And Tammy and I were living through not yet yet moments for many years, and we'll live through them again. I mean, that's the crazy thing about healing. All healing is temporary, this Mm. side of resurrection. So no matter how miraculous the breakthrough is, we're still still all going to die. And so we're all going to experience the not yetness. So what happens is it's not what you believe, it's what you emphasize, in particular in preaching and pastoring. And so some church traditions emphasize the not yet,
2: yeah, and the result
1: is cynicism yeah. and pessimism yeah. and yeah. a yeah. lack of prayer, lack of mm-hmm. faith, lack of confidence. Or
3: fasting, even you know, being yeah.
1: open yes. to yeah. that, and yeah. other church traditions overemphasize yeah. yes. the now, <laughs> yes, and <laughs> no, the here. If you fast, if no, you fast, absolutely. and it's this more, will you know, happen. and you see this. This is some of the shadow side to the charismatic tradition, to the Pentecostal tradition, to the self-help tradition. It's been so Americanized by the American model. of up and to the right. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So you think you of a saying
1: uh, like the popular Christian maxim, the best is yet to come, you yes. know, and you can kinda of tell yes. where people are in church traditions. <laughs> yeah. And I and that's fine, like I'm okay with that statement. Yeah. But you have to you have to clarify what first off what do you mean by best? Best, yes. If you by best you mean becoming a person of agape love, mm. th- often through suffering, yeah. and, yes. Mystery, yes. and mystery and no, mystery, absolutely, yes. Uh, and if by yet to come you mean if not in this life, then in the life yes. to come and over many decades, then I then agree. The best is the yet best to come. Is yet but to come. if by best you mean American. Yeah maximize sure, pleasure, richness, minimize prosperity. pain, richness, prosperity, better yeah. and better, more success, more yeah. favor, more wealth, the best, yeah. you know, more yeah. good times yeah. is yet to come, meaning like it's just a, a few months or a few prayers or a few church yeah. services or a few whatever away. Yeah. Then th- that statement is a setup for, yeah. for a crisis of faith. You know, every yeah. time we sing that song at church, I, I cannot stand the bridge to you're never going to let me down. Yeah,
2: oh. And if by never
1: let you down, you yes. mean God is going to walk absolutely. with you through like every valley. And it of, yes. like in it also time. brings
3: up your expectation of, of the biblical expectation of God. You have, yeah. You're have challenged with that every time you sing that line.
1: Yeah, And I mean, what we should get from reading the New Testament is we should expect trials and tribulation yes, and the presence the of Jesus with us through and suffering. Jesus, and we should yeah. expect suffering to go up in our mm. lives as followers of Jesus, not go down. I mean, mm. that's the whole... Like previous generations understood suffering and persecution as a sign of God's confirmation that they were doing something right. Mm -hmm. Not that we just assume that means we must be doing something wrong. I'm not happy. epistles of Peter. And so therefore I must be doing something wrong. But previous generations are like, no, that means you're on the right track.
2: Bravo, carry on. Good job.
1: You know, so um, again, there's tension here. There's nuance we don't have time to get into. But I think the pastoral point is... I remember my therapist said to me once, where there's a pride position, there's a shame position. Mm-hmm. So if you paint this picture of yes. discipleship to Jesus is up and to the right, it's mm-hmm. going to get better and better and better. God's going to answer all your prayers. Yeah. You're just going to be in glory all of the time. Yeah. Then that's not people's actual experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the real yeah. experience is it's full of beauty and joy and hope and moments of transcendence and unanswered prayers. Yes. and." Disappointment yeah. and questions and doubts and God, yeah. where are you? And my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus yeah. had those moments. The, yeah. the Bible doesn't hide this. Yes, stuff,
2: no, it definitely. But doesn't.
1: American church culture yeah. often does, and um, I just think it's incredible. I call it spiritual realism. It's incredibly important mm-hmm. to be not mm-hmm. cynical, to be hopeful, yeah. but not cynical or or in denial. Mm-hmm. And there's so much denialism yeah. in Rapid. church, you know. Yeah. So the reality yeah. is. God does miraculously answer prayer. Yes. Sometimes. Yeah. A- and that's the reality we have to live in. And yeah. there are other times, you know, we love to tell stories of answered prayer. We don't like to tell stories of unanswered mm. prayer. But I have plenty of stories <laughs> of unanswered prayer of, yeah. you know, of I have stories of victories and I have stories of defeat. And that's only a problem if you buy the American vision of Christianity yeah. as opposed to the Jesus vision of life mm. in the kingdom where the victory will be complete in time it's only a matter of time we have to live in that so i think the more we can give people both space to be honest about the shadow side of their spirituality and at the same time hold before them Jesus is back from the dead. Mm. Spirit of God is in you, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive yeah. and at work. Miracles continue to happen. Mm. Deliverance, healing, breakthrough, salvation. Yeah. Pray for it, fast for it, yes. ask God for it. And we just can't control what does yeah, or does not happen. Outcomes. You know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Abandon mm. outcomes to God. So yeah. I don't know, Jay, that's kind of how I think about it.
4: Hello, my name is Natalie and I am a new mum living in Aotearoa, New Zealand. My husband and I struggled to conceive for a long time and at the time I was part of a women's group who fasted and prayed weekly for us to get pregnant. Even when I couldn't fast for a while to help my body conceive, these women carried me and fasted on my behalf. A year later and I'm now holding my seven-week-old daughter, Lena. God is so faithful, and he has heard my heart's cry to be a mother. And I don't believe that fasting is a magic bullet at all. So many of my prayers while fasting are still unanswered. But I do believe that somehow, mysteriously, God hears the cries of his people who fast. And through the process, we can become deeply aware of his presence and be transformed by it too.
3: You know, um, for me, thinking about this in my own life as not just a pastor, but as someone living in a city like Portland, I often find myself struggling with some of that cynicism mm. or,
1: yeah. ah, just oh, you know, it's cyclical, the spirit of the age. Cyclical
3: yeah. determinism. You know, that yeah. idea of just will just happen in 50 yeah. years, what's the difference kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. But what really pushes me to this ultimately in, in dealing with disappointment of unanswered prayer or fasting and nothing happens but my bad attitude comes up <laughs> <out, you know? laughs> in these moments, it really reminds me, though. That we ultimately do, I think, pray and fast because Jesus himself, who literally carried the fullness of God's Mm. power and presence and wisdom in real human history, this guy, he ultimately carried the compelling need to pray and fast Yeah. Yeah. And so at that point, I think it awakes, it kind of removes a bit of my apathy or cynicism a bit because I'm like, if Jesus did it, I mean... There's great mystery, but the yes. one who we carries follow it behind on, him. Yes, we follow absolutely. Behind. Yep. So I'm it's gonna no try to vision. do my best, yeah. even as it relates to, you know, things around fasting. Mm-hmm. And I think
1: as you, uh, I'm thinking right now of um one of my favorite books on prayer is A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Mm-hmm. Either of you read that? No, mm-hmm. I have not. Great book from a you know the from a reform perspective actually, and beautiful book on prayer. And he writes about how in the modern West, the number one challenge to prayer is cynicism, even over distraction in his mind. Thank you, Paul Miller. (laughs) And he has this incredible paradigm. I I couldn't verbally describe it, Mm -hmm. but he does that like a a graph where he writes about over-realized expectation and how Mm -hmm. it creates cynicism but then he writes about the desert and the wilderness of prayer wow. and how if you stay with it, what comes out is wonder. Oh, oh and So he basically incredible. has this call like just keep walking with mm. God through the wilderness of unanswered prayer. Keep praying, keep fasting. And eventually mm-hmm. you will come to the place of wonder. Oh. Wow! And as you begin to build a repository in your own autobiography of answered prayer, um mm-hmm. not all prayers being answered but yes, some yes. prayers being answered <laughs> like That's you will come to, to that place it. of wonder yeah. and i don't get all of the mystery but I have this story to tell you, oh. you know, and um, so and we can live on each other's stories. That's yes. the great thing about oh, faith. Like,
2: so encouraged by I to
1: struggle people. with cynicism so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, my Myers Briggs type is most likely to be an atheist. You know, <laughs> dead serious. That's like it's Google it. It's on there. <laughs> pretty much all of the famous. Uh, yeah, you're Popatini. INTJs. Yeah, they're all evil supervillains, and they're pretty much all you, the John like. Malcolm. It's like <laughs> Nietzsche and Marx and. Lenin and, and but Anne see, Rand it's Jesus like does, all the you know, like, also, hardcore <laughs> atheists <laughs> like yeah you don't want my well, this personality this is a story
2: of redemption look this at is... you you know with that kind of pedigree or but good still faking it I know <laughs> untrue but transformed know. in real time he's not faking if you're listening <laughs> pedigree is not
1: the word I was thinking <laughs> this <Nika>. is true <laughs> uh, so I, mean, I get it it's so deep in me but the beauty of faith is I can live on other people's stories mm. so I love it when we're at church or around a table yeah. or I just hear some story yes. of answered prayer or yes. Or prophecy. Yeah. Or one of those stories that like you just can't explain yes. away as yes. coincidence. Yes. And there's just yeah. every church is full of those Absolutely. stories. Absolutely.
2: Oh gosh, my best friend Tam is full of those stories. Yes. When I listen to her and I'm like, my heart is like awakened. Like I am so, I feel so alive listening to what Jesus is doing in her story. I'm like, tell me more. I don't yes. want to say much. I just want to hear it. you know. It's so inspiring.
1: Mm. So there it is. Speaking of stories, I think we should yeah. shift gears. Yes, yes,
2: let's do it.
1: Well, we have with us one of my favorite people Ooh. via the Internet <laughs> here on a laptop a few feet from me, Chris Vinant. Oh. Chris, how are you? Great to see you. Look handsome as ever.
0: Well, I am enjoying listening to you and the Yinka, which I, I realized <laughs> oh, was no. a whole new standard of Yinkaness. And, uh, and, Jay, so I'm thoroughly enjoying listening to this great conversation unfold. Well, welcome. So grateful
1: for your time. For those of you listening, you may not know Chris. Chris has been my mentor and kind of like a spiritual father for, gosh, how long now, Chris? 12 years? 13 years? I
0: mean... I guess in that vicinity, Sure. Sure. When remember we had a really bad vegeta- we had a very bad vegetarian meal that's how we met
1: <laughs> <laughs> said the South African who like grew up eating all sorts of meat and the Portlander yeah <laughs> your, yes, your I don't remember a bad vegetarian meal but, um hopefully I was, was not memorable. cooking. I don't know. <laughs> but you came into my life at a key inflection point and have been with me. You know, if you've anybody's read The Hero's Journey by Joseph Campbell, you know, in the archetypal Hero's Journey, the mentor appears, mm-hmm. the sage at just the right time you know the um, obi-wan or the when Gandalf. when the student
3: is ready the teacher appears yes there Ooh, it Jay, is bravo. there it is thank you right there yeah.
1: <laughs> so in real life it doesn't actually happen like no that. yeah yeah
2: <laughs> except even with chris. when you
1: but in star think. wars except it does or in lord of the rings but except with chris, <laughs> chris?
2: so it did anyway
1: happen. we're uh, it's been we've been in a relationship for many years chris was on our board of directors for a long time but we're doing a family gap year in mm-hmm. california which means we're in chris's church and oh. you are mm-hmm. my pastor right now as well oh. uh, which is such a gift so chris you both pastor Genesis Costa Mesa in Southern California and lead Genesis Collective, which is a network of like-minded churches all over the world. Um, you and Genesis Collective, and by default, myself and our family just finished a three-day fast. You want to tell us about, tell us about that a little bit?
0: Thank you. Yeah. You know, uh, fasting and I have a very uh, trialed and journey full of tribulation. I, I'm not a fan, and yet I've seen its incredible <laughs> power. And I was sitting thinking about our global story, and uh, these incredible churches from little villages in India and Sri Lanka, and Sri Lanka going through such heartache at the moment, and the economic and social challenges of India and Nepal and Africa. And I just thought, you know, we can so compartmentalize this great kingdom adventure into our world, into our Pocket of challenges, what if we share them out? What if we all gather together for a weekend and effectively create an environment of three days non stop prayer and fasting from Cambodia, which is the most eastern part of where we work, all the way through to us here in California, Nicaragua. And so we did. We had mm-hmm. uh, just a remarkable three days of crying out to wow. God. Wow. And uh, I, I was just humbled by it. We got some photographs, we got some little videos um rich in culture, seeing the Indians dressed in their magnificent, colorful garments, uh, kneeling and crying out to God and, and Africans and, uh, of course, Europeans and the rest. So it was a remarkable time because we forget how unifying mm. prayer and fasting is. Uh, in the Western world, we are so preoccupied by a more narcissistic spirituality yes. of what it means to me and my life and how it changes me. But the moment you step out of that Western world into a global world and you realize how much of the global world is driven by what's best for the community yeah. more than what's by what's best for me, uh, you know, our hearts get stirred. And uh, we were de- deeply humbled by people who have so little uh, and, and actually eat one meal a day and prepare to forfeit that to pray and fast with others who have so much. Very humbling, very powerful, very encouraging, very stirring. Nice.
1: Chris, give us a little bit of your um, autobiography, not the long version, but just, you know, if you you're from originally from South Africa, been in the States for a while now. You came to faith in what would have been early 80s? When? Like, tell us a little bit about what was the spiritual climate that you were saved into and kind of came up in.
0: Yeah, thank you, John Mark. You know, the 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 form is that I'm Afrikaans, which means that I grew up as a little Ike in the Dutch Reformed Church with all that that means and holds. Um, But when I was 18, it was the end of my freshman year at college, I came into a radical encounter with Christ. Uh, That is a beautiful, longer story, not for now. But um, I stepped into two worlds that came together in me. The one was the charismatic renewal, of which I knew nothing. I, I just was so hungry for Jesus, I went to every meeting I could, I exposed myself to every kingdom adventure that I could, And I got involved in an urban community uh, in what we then grew to understand as being part of the Jesus People Movement. I met Lonnie Frisby some years later. And um, when he described what was happening here in Corona del Mar, just down the road from where I'm sitting, I was like, that's exactly what happened to us. Mm. We did that. We lived communally. We believed Jesus was coming back, Larry Norman, one way, you know. And because of that, we lived simple lives We readied ourselves for his imminent return. We preached the gospel on the streets. We had early morning prayer every morning at five o'clock. And uh, there was this wild sense of immediate obedience. Uh, My mentor said that what you saved into is more important than what you get saved out of. Well, for some of those people, they were addicts. There was a guy in one of our communal houses who'd been in prison for murder and prostitutes and whatever. So the point was, what you get saved out of is of less importance than what you get saved into, wow. and it was a radical time, John Mark, and uh, it stirred and postured my heart for a radical spirituality from those early days, and that was 1976. Wow! Wow! wow. My
3: goodness. Okay, Chris, I'm really curious. Was fasting yes, a sir. part of your early Christian experience, and if it was, like, what did it kind of look like for you?
0: You know, amazingly, Jay, it wasn't. Um, There were so many other things that were kind of high virtues for us. We preached on the streets every Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night. We did mass beach baptisms. We, I mean, worshipped God with such abandonment. And there were many things that were remarkable about that time. But as I was reflecting on it today, fasting never featured, Mm -hmm. at least not to my recall. Uh, That appeared in 1983 at that time, Merrill and I planted our own church. We were 24 and 21, and uh, we kind of said, well, let's plant a like church. How hard can that be? And that began <laughs> yeah. that adventure. But um, the first, Jay, the first real fasting experience we had was in 1985. And one of the leaders, we were all in our 20s. We were all crazy and nuts and passionate for <laughs> Jesus and <laughs> radical. And... Um, um, One of the leaders, who was a very prophetic man, said, well, why don't we fast and pray for the nation? Mm. Now, South Africa at that time was in a civil war, white-controlled, white white government, preferred jobs, uh, the military, uh, controlled the country and the economy, and uh, created a lot of social prejudice and uh, political bias. And so we wow. obviously knew that was an injustice. Mm. Uh, but, but you know, you kind of surrender to it. You think, well, what can I do as a little old Christian? And so this guy came and said, we, he thinks we should fast. And this guy I'd met in 1984, Arthur Wallace, what a, what a remarkable man. Yes. What a great little book to intro me into and the others into a world of fasting. Now, we didn't understand the difference between abstaining and fasting, we just, we are going to do it. It was kind of, if it's in the Bible, we do it. it there were just deep seeds sown in our hearts. Beautiful. My desire then, Jay, and now, is that God sees in us such a trustworthiness in prayer and fasting that if anything were to happen, whether it be an individual or a family or a nation or nations of the world, he could speak to us prophetically and say, I need you to start fasting right now. And not, well, why, and why should we fast, and it's not our turn, and we don't like it, and I can't, I've got a business strip lined up. Well, 1985, we fasted and prayed for three weeks. Again, we didn't differentiate between fasting and abstaining. And for three weeks, we met every night. For three weeks, people who were on business had soup, Uh, traveled. uh, We had a lot of people in the surfing industry, and they were in Hong Kong and China, uh, you know, doing all their things, and um, it was just an extraordinary time because we really believed with all of our hearts that our prayer and fasting will shift the political climate in South Africa. It was not uncommon for churches to pray and fast. Ours was probably a little longer than most, but there was such an ardent urgency and a sense of conviction. Mm. Our prayers and our fasting can shift what is an injustice over this nation. And uh, ten years later, when Mandela walked out of Pollsmoor Prison with Winnie, I just stood in front of the TV and wept because wow. I knew those nights where many people paid a great price—mothers with 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 babies, you know—who um, said they would fast and they would trust God and nurse their nurse their kiddos. Uh, great price by many, and that wasn't the only one we did, Jay. But that was the one that introduced us to the power of fasting and the impact that fasting can have. And this is one of the ways in which fasting impacts injustice that it can shift the nation. And so it impacted us dramatically, and it's been a constant companion. I say in brackets to my irritation because I really don't like food. <laughs> <laughs> but every now and again I hear the bell of heaven ring, and all that God says it's time. And I look, I say, "You've got to be kidding me!" And it's time again. Mm-hmm. Oh
1: Beautiful. wow, Chris, h- how did it change you and your community? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously we're we're more focused on what does it do in a nation or in a tri- But yeah. how did it change you and the yeah. people that you are walking
0: with? Yeah, great question, John. Like you know, Christianity is an adventure word. It's a doing word. I think we are losing a generation or generations by boredom and disinterest because we're expecting Christianity to be a listening word. Mm. It, I think at its root requires engagement and action. And what we saw, and we were all 20-somethings, what we saw in that time was it forged us. Uh, Alan Hirsch uses the idea of communitas, family forged under fire. It forged us together. It was almost like a badge of honour. I was there when we fasted. It created a great sense of unity mm. because we owned it. We bought into it together. I think we almost had 100% of our people fast. It was remarkable. So it created that sense of of cordriness. It created a spiritual combatancy. Mm. It created a sense of unity. It created a sense of courage where we were prepared to take radical steps, believing that we could somehow shift the climate and, and um, atmosphere over mm. our nation and then I think it created a greater confidence in every individual, John Mark, in the power of spiritual disciplines. Like any twenty-something community, disciplines were not a high value. It was periodic. Yeah. It was uh, periodic. It wasn't. It, it wasn't consistent, you know. But what that did is it created a kind of fingers became a fist, and we saw the power of oh, togetherness really like of usness, yeah. and that in turn inspired the individual to grow in their prayer walk, to grow in their fasting, to start fasting regularly, which I've now done to this day, and that's almost 40 years ago.
2: That's incredible. Mm. Which is actually seg there's a good segue because I was curious, what did that look like from being in this rich community? You did life together and then moving to the US, which is a different kind of communal sort <laughs> of environment. <laughs> what was that like from like fasting, praying? So you know? gracious.
1: <laughs> a different type of communal <laughs> by which you mean radically de-resonating <laughs> radical individualism. You know, but, but, you know, some uh, may uh, argue for their hyper-communal. Kind of some may argue there's like a toxicity built into Western culture of individuals. Individualism, but you know, a we're different a type of we're getting cynical. Here. The Inca is so <laughs> no, great. Yeah, no, we there's our cynicism. No, oh, I'm no, she, right. there's the she has the wonder.
2: She has wonder. The beauty of community, as Krista said, you know, we get to learn and be enriched by one another's testimonies ah, of community, perhaps. But what was that like? Moving to the U.S. and I'm yeah. not sure what time you, this was for you. You and Merrill moved, and even just kind of continuing on practices like this with a kind of a redefinition or amongst mm. a redefined community.
1: Yeah, and what changes, I guess did you notice between, you know, your South African context and then coming into America, which is much more Christianized and individualized?
0: Yeah. Thank you. Great question. Uh, We moved here in 96. And I just put in parentheses, this was not a destination of choice. (laughs) Meryl and I I actually wanted to move to Hong Kong to plant a church in Asia. And so God had to kind of arm wrestle us to move to America. Two things happened, Yinka, that I think most... Um, explicitly communicates our curiosity. The first was, landed jane in August 96, took over the leadership of a broken Pentecostal church. Now, I'm not Pentecostal by theology or culture, but in God's kindness, he asked us to kind of nurse this broken bride back into wholeness. And so we called a fast. Of course we did, because that's mm. what you do. Yeah. And um, you can imagine the shock and horror of this church now, predominantly in their late 40s and 50s. I think 99% had never missed a meal. It had never been on their spiritual landscape. It had never been under consideration. So I took some time to prep them. And so one guy comes to me afterwards, Inka, and he says to me, man, this is amazing. I'm so delighted. We, we, we Americans don't fast. We love our food. <laughs> so I, I'm excited. So I feel very encouraged. Yeah. Uh, comes the weekend. He's not at one meeting. In oh. fact, he doesn't fast. So <laughs> I see him the next week and I said, just curiously, you weren't there, but you yeah. love the idea. Oh. He said, oh no, I love the idea, but that doesn't mean I fast. (laughs) I was shocked by the the lack of community ownership. It was, well, I don't, that's not what I do. In fact, I had one of the American elders say to me, you can't call everyone to fast. Everyone must decide for themselves. And I looked at him with as much gentleness as I could muster in the moment and said, everyone in this church will fast. (laughs) Um, because I was just stunned by the extent of individualism or Charles Taylor's idea, expressive individualism, that A, there's no community call, only an individual call, and B, there is no ownership of this exquisite practice full of mystery and surprises uh, that that owned it. The very few times that you hear
1: pastors in America talk about fasting, I will regularly hear people say it's between you and God. It is just a personal mm-hmm. thing, yeah. which I think is a gross misreading of Matthew chapter six and Jesus warning against virtue signaling and the spiritual yeah. disciplines. Wow. Um, it's a, I think it's a grotesque misreading, but you, I hear that all mm-hmm. of the time. So I think people literally are actually taught to believe
0: that. Yeah. yeah. It's tragic. I mean, even a most cursory reading of the text just just pull up fasting in your concordance and read it, and it's overwhelmingly communal. There is power in the usness of fasting. Now that doesn't mean we can't fast alone, and, and having a day a week that we fast is a beautiful discipline that I use from time to time, not all the time. But um, there is deep power and in mystery. Inc. if I can take a mm. half a step back, um, we did a 10 day water fast, which was our first communal insurgence into a water only thing. And it was brutal and I hated it. Oh. Amen. <laughs> um, but during that time, during that time, I, I was just reflecting on it today in lieu of this interview. Um, I was stunned. Remember in Isaiah where it speaks about him loosening the bonds of wickedness? Yes. Um, two things happened that time as examples of it. We were worshiping and um, I get called over and one of the elders says to me, you need to come across here. And there is a couple in our community who are sitting on the stairs. There are no chairs. We're just sitting around worshiping God. And, and they've both had affairs without the other knowing. And here in this climate of fasting, of transparency, of brokenness, of weakness, of mystery, God identifies their mutual wickedness, and they both just sit there weeping. Wow. And now we've got a huge eldership job on our hands, which was beautiful. And and they marry married today. They live in Australia. They've got great kids. But it was a moment of usness, of us coming together for a week of meeting, crying out to God, no preaching, just worship and prayers and mm. the power that that had. So I'm such a fervent believer in the power of communal fasting. Back to the Twin Towers, the plains hit it. Now, where I come from, this is an assault against our nation. Honestly, I expected the, the fathers of the nation to get up with unity and to say, Church in the United States, this is the time to pray and fast. Let's humble ourselves like England did under King George and let's cry out to God. And and honestly, I was astounded as flags came out. God bless America, and that's beautiful. I love the patriotism here. I don't want this to be misunderstood. But, but I longed, I, I just longed for whoever the spiritual leaders were to get up mm. and say, nation, this is the time to humble ourselves before God and to cry out at the throne of grace and to fast for two, three, four, five days and lay a hold of the throne of grace and ask the kingdom of heaven to come down. Your kingdom come, your will be done amongst us right now. And it was a wow. deep tragedy for me that uh, there was none of that. It it, it was the answer to the challenge and crisis in our nation is patriotism. And it's a great secondary answer, but it's not a primary answer.
2: Wow, well said.
1: Chris, um, do you think some of that is tied to the Christendom past of our nation and just that lack of the radical edge of discipleship? And I don't know Mm. what was a South African thing, what was a Jesus movement thing, Mm. you know, I think of like, my wife's reading Keith Green's biography right now. Oh. You know, so no compromise. I remember reading that that biography actually imprinted on me. I read that when I was like seventeen or eighteen years what? old. You know, no compromise. And I was driving a nineteen seventy seven Volkswagen yes. bus at the time. My Let's first car, which that was pretty cool, actually
2: yeah, pretty uh, very fun to
1: drive. But you know, that radical edge to discipleship has been very much mm. lost. I mean, that's not, mm. I think, the world that my children are growing up in, or that mm. I, you know, did myself personally. So. Do you think some of that lack of prayer and fasting is tied to America's history?
0: Well, I think there is an overdependency on our Christendom history. The assumption is that America is a Christian nation, which we know is is a fallacy with explanation needed of course. But what has happened is we are so dependent on the benefits and blessing that God has afforded the nation through the Christendom that's been preached so magnificently from, from the pulpits for hundreds of years, and now we rest on those laurels ex- just expecting that God is on our side, he's against them, yeah. and, uh, you know, th- there's nothing required of us. We don't have to do anything. We just have to sit in the benefit of what's already been done. And I think that's foolhardy. I, I-, I think there is something exquisite that God invites every generation. Remember that great verse in, in the book of Acts? David served the purposes of God in his generation. Every generation has a set of spiritual responsibilities, and they're achieved through our spiritual practices. Mm-hmm. And we have to find what those spiritual responsibilities are and adapt our spiritual practices according to those responsibilities. When we do that, it's an adventure that is sublime. It activates us and mobilizes us um, into a spiritual combatancy that is truly life transforming. And in Zechariah, there's that great verse, and I'm paraphrasing it, maybe even butchering it. But basically, when when the men stand up to go to war, the children dance in the street, and that's not a gender-specific verse. I think I think it's a picture that when we take responsibility for for what the challenges are of our age, our children will rejoice in the streets. Wow. And it's the, wow. the, the the lack of priority to those spiritual disciplines that actually ends up getting us into trouble because we don't own it. We, we don't say, I have to pray. You know, my kids have sat me down, John Mark, as you know, and said, Dad, tell us about apartheid. Tell us about when you marched with 30,000 other mostly black people singing out their songs anti-apartheid because it was my responsibility, my generation to break the power of wow. apartheid and racism in South Africa. And that was not something you do lightly. It requires prayer. It requires fasting. It requires time with God. It requires grace and peace and mercy and righteousness. And so I can go on. So I think the excessive dependency on our history makes the current generation fragile to obedience because we believe we can depend on what was rather than embrace the power of responsibility of what is.
2: That is profound.
3: Chris, my heart is on fire honestly thank yeah. you. honestly thank I, you wow. fragile
1: to obedience
2: my oh. goodness oh
3: man um my question to you because this is a great you're, you're on a roll right now if you could say one thing to this emerging generation, Gen Z... Mm. Or what, three things, or four or things. Four or is <laughs> <laughs> open for but you. What would you say to Gen Z and Gen Alpha, this emerging generation? Mm. You know, the heavens are, quote-unquote, beginning to open. We're seeing an enchantment with mm. Asbury and spreading. You know, the heavens are opening up.
0: What would you say to yeah. this emerging generation? Well, Jay, I, 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 I'm going to quote my daughter, actually. Dana preached on Sunday in our community, and she made this point that we expect intimacy and then we will obey. But she said the scripture actually says it the opposite way around. It's when I obey that I reach into intimacy. And I think a generation that really wants to encounter God in the fullest measure and to walk in his will and ways and to know him and to be intimate with him is is a generation that obeys him. We want to democratize the truth. We want to all have our say about what we think to be Francis Schaeffer, true truth. But, but I think, Jay, there is just this humility, the simple humility of saying, Jesus, it's in your word, and I'm going to obey with all humility. I'm going to accept that. It's not my position to argue or debate. That produces chaos and confusion. It's in the humility of saying, if that's what your word says, I will step into that space and intimacy with God and devotion. Remember Acts 2? They devoted themselves to. Yes. Devotion and intimacy is born out of simple acts of obedience. In our community, Jay, um, we are committed to putting people on an adventure. And uh, I think the adventure stirs the need for. When I'm out there, we had a team in Sri Lanka going around from village to village on motorcycles, preaching the gospel. When they came back and they faced, they had accidents, a crowd chased them out of a village, I mean, literally with sticks. And when they came back, there was this hunger. Oh, Chris, how can we do this? What what do we need to do about (laughs) this? The, 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 The desire for action produces obedience and obedience produces intimacy. Mm. If we want mm. to start with intimacy, many will flounder because we'll transition that or translate that to feelings. I don't think intimacy with God is feelings. I think it's, it's intentional steps of obedience written in the Scripture, modeled by the beautiful life of Jesus, yeah. and intimacy is born out of that. And that draws me into ever-increasing levels of walking with Jesus.
1: Practicing the Way is a crowd-funded nonprofit made possible by the Circle, a group of people from all over the world who believe deeply in the work of spiritual formation and discipleship and give monthly to see formation integrated into the church at large. I'm John from Minneapolis, Minnesota in the States and I'm a part of this community. To join myself and others in the Circle or to share a one-time gift, please visit practicingtheway.org/give. I just keep thinking of Jesus' line, blessed are the pure in heart, for mm. they shall see
2: yeah. God. Yeah, they mm-hmm. shall see God.
1: Chris, we can't thank you enough. Oh, my um, goodness. So you are blessed. such a gift to my life, and I know to those of listening. Yeah. Um, For those of you listening, if you want to uh, hear more about Chris's work and the church work they do, GenesisCostaMesa.org, right, for your community in Southern California, yep. and then GenesisCollective.org for the more global stuff for pastors and church planters. But Chris, we are so grateful for you. Oh, my um, goodness. You are, you are in my body at some level. There's a, there's a inner Chris voice somewhere. To, <laughs> we've been together long enough in my genetic code. I don't have your charism, but <laughs> what Aww. a gift you are. We bless you. We honor you. Yeah, we thank indeed. you. Um, if I can be half the man you are at, at your age and have half the family you do, I'm thinking of Dana and your just beautiful children and all mm-hmm. the things they are doing. So... You're such a model for us. We love you. We yeah, thank, you. thank you. Thank you so
2: Chris. much. To oh, all of
1: goodness. you, thank you for listening. Yes. Um, we are Again, we're still a new podcast. If you want to tell your friends, family, all that kind of stuff, that'd be fantastic. We will be back, God willing, next yeah. week for our fourth and final conversation on fasting to stand with the poor and our special guest, our dear friend, Tyler Staten. In the meantime, grace and peace to you and tons of love.